We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Chase Hughes from NBC Sports Washington will be on the show today. Uh, The Bradley Beal situation, him off the Olympic team for COVID-19 protocol reasons. I think the story, the way it's been reported, hasn't offered up a lot of detail. Uh, We will talk to Chase Hughes about that in a few minutes. Also, I went back um, last night and found an interview that I did with Mike Silver. Mike Silver is the newest hire by the Washington football team to be involved in producing content for their website, etc. I interviewed Mike for the radio show right after Ron Rivera got hired, in part because the week prior he had written a lengthy story about what Rivera was doing, which sort of indicated that he was going to get back into coaching. And I referenced some of that the other day, including some of Rivera's quotes from Mike Silver's story. What I was going to do, and I I think I've done this maybe once before, um, at the end of the podcast, the last segment of this podcast, I'll just let you hear the raw interview. Uh, with Mike Silver, which, again, was shortly after Ron Rivera was hired. Um, I listened to it, and I just think that there are some things that were interesting, his take on Rivera at the time, some of the things that Ron Rivera was thinking and looking for um, at the time, some of his predictions um, on uh, what Ron Rivera would do uh, in Washington, et cetera. So you'll hear that. I think it's roughly 20, 22 minutes, something like that. Uh, as the last segment of the podcast today. Uh, If you are listening to the podcast and you want to bet on sports, go to mybookie at mybookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC, and they will match your deposit halfway up to 1000 bucks. KevinDC. You got to use my bonus code so that they know that you found my bookie because of me. Um, NBA Finals game tonight. Uh, by the way, I do not have a strong feeling on the game tonight. Not after the other night. You know, I was wrong on Phoenix. I loved Phoenix plus the four and a half. I loved them on the money line uh, as well. Um, and neither one of those worked out very well. Phoenix is a four point favorite tonight in game five. At home, I don't like the game either way. Um, I was going to tell you that I was on my bookie last night um, looking at various NFL 
props uh, for the upcoming season. And I thought one of the interesting ones was for defensive MVP of the 2021 season. And I wanted to see where Chase Young was on that list. Miles Garrett is actually the favorite to be the 2021-2022 NFL Defensive Player of the Year at plus 300. Aaron Donald is second at plus 550. By the way, Aaron Donald is the best defensive player in the league right now. And as John Thompson used to say, you can count three or four spaces before you get to number two. That doesn't mean he will have an MVP caliber year, and Miles Garrett as more of an edge pass rusher, he's a monster too. Now the third, the third pick right now, odds-wise at my bookie to win the NFL Defensive Player of the Year is Chase Young. At plus 800, he's ahead of T.J. Watt. He's ahead of both of the Bosa's. He's ahead of Khalil Mack. He's ahead of Devin White. He's ahead of Bradley Chubb and Bobby Wagner and Derwin James, who will be coming back off of injury for the Chargers. Um, he is up there, um, and really, it's Garrett, Donald, and Young. Uh, Garrett's at plus 300. Donald's at plus 550, and Chase Young is at plus 800. The third pick in year two to be the defensive MVP uh, this year. By the way, in their long list of NFL players that have odds, and they've got roughly, I think, 25 to 30 players listed with odds as potential MVPs, Montez Sweat is one of those players. Now, he's a a long shot. He's not the longest shot on the board, but Montez Sweat is plus 6,500 to win the defensive MVP. So put 100 on Montez Sweat. If he ends up becoming the MVP, defensive uh, MVP of the league, you win 6,500. By the way, the the same odds at plus 6,500 as Richard Sherman's odds at plus 6,500. The two players with the longest odds are Darius Slay, corner in Philadelphia, and Kyle Van Noy, who are both plus 10,000. But a lot of the offshore, um, a lot of the legal um, sports books uh, as well um, in Vegas, all looking at Chase Young as a potential defensive MVP at MyBookie, Chase Young at plus 800. Go to MyBookie, MyBookie.ag. And use my bonus code, KevinDC, uh, and they will match your deposit halfway up to a thousand bucks. You certainly want to get that done now while you can get the big bonus before football season begins. I want to start with this story that broke early this morning. Um, Tom Brady, the Super Bowl winning quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tom Brady played much of his first season in Tampa Bay on a torn MCL in his left knee. That according to a report in the Tampa Bay Times this morning. Brady suffered the injury in his final season with the Patriots, and it gradually worsened during the year in Tampa last year. However, he was never listed on the injury report. All season long, never listed on the injury report. He underwent surgery that was already reported to repair that knee in late February, a few weeks after the Super Bowl. Uh, Brady has never discussed the specifics about the surgery, only saying, quote, at the time, it was pretty serious, closed quote. 
Remember that Brady did in 2008, we recall, even though the Patriots went 11-5 and without him, he suffered a torn ACL in week one of that season. That's the only other season, uh, that's the only season where he was injured. He played last year on a torn MCL. Bucks QB coach Clyde Christensen said um, last month that Brady's knee injury was a nagging nuisance that affected him all season long. He said, quote, I don't think he was 100% last year. Uh, his, his quote or close to a quote was, hey, I'm going to get my knee fixed up. I'm going to be better next year, and you're going to be excited about that, closed quote. Christensen talking about what Brady said after the Super Bowl. Brady did wear a brace on his left knee during the Super Bowl um, parade where he tried to throw the Lombardi trophy from one boat to another. Uh, but there you go. Uh, if there's any other you know, data that you need in your conversation or debate about the greatest of all time, Tom Brady led a team to a Super Bowl on a torn MCL the entire season. So not a lot of Washington football team news to discuss, but there are two items. Number one, the Brandon Sheriff playing on the franchise tag thing is official now. Uh, many of you asked me what percentage odds would you put or what percent chance would you put on Brandon Sheriff being on the team next year. Uh, and I said, you know, less than 50-50. But I wouldn't rule it out completely. I remember how I felt about the second franchise tag on Kirk Cousins. And I remember saying at the time, well, this will be his last year. That's almost a lock that he's going to go to to unrestricted free agency and that another team will be willing to pay him uh, what his market value is. This team was not willing to pay him uh, his market value and didn't even recognize what the market value was. But then I also said... Um, sort of straddling the fence, if you will. Look, if they have a big year in 2017 and they get to the playoffs and all of a sudden he and Jay and he and Bruce and Dan, they're all getting along a little bit better and he has a big year, maybe the team will make him a long-term offer and he won't want to leave because you know they want a playoff game and the arrow's pointing upward because the defense is getting better or whatever. That, that possibility existed. But, of course, 2017 turned into a debacle of a season with all the injuries. So with Brandon Sheriff, I would sort of say the same thing, that he's going to, you know, more likely than not, you know, roll the dice on unrestricted free agency. I mean, once you sniff it as a player after two franchise tags, the second of which pays you nearly 18 million bucks um, and makes you the highest paid guard in the upcoming season, you're going to let teams, you know, have a bidding war over you. And I mentioned this the other day, there are no real at this point sort of legitimate upper tier guards that are going to be free agents after the upcoming season. So he's going to own that market. Anybody that needs a guard, let's just say it's three or four teams that desperately need one. There will be a bidding war for Brandon Sheriff, but is it possible, you know, they go 13 and four this year and they win two playoff games and they lose in the NFC championship game to the Bucks or to the Cowboys or to the Rams and Brandon Sheriff says, I want to be a part of this thing. We're going we're, we're gonna to go win the Super Bowl the, the next year, and I want to be a part of it. I guess you know that possibility exists, but I would wager against him playing for Washington after 
um, this upcoming season. So then there was this other story from this morning related to the Washington football team. Um, From the Associated Press, two NFL teams remain under 50% vaccinated less than two weeks from the start of training camp. A person familiar with the vaccination rates told the Associated Press. Uh, Washington and Indianapolis had the two lowest COVID-19 vaccination rates among the 32 teams in the league, according to a person who spoke to the AP on condition of anonymity because the league hasn't released the numbers, which are changing daily. Washington and Indianapolis are the two teams under 50% vaccination rate. Pittsburgh, Miami, Carolina, and Denver, if you're curious, have the highest vaccination rates, according to this report. Um, And the league overall has a vaccination rate of just over 70% at this point. Uh, Washington at under 50%, Indianapolis being the other team that's under 50%. So I don't know if Washington's dead last or 31st, um, but they're one of the two lowest vaccinated teams in the league. Now, uh, we could have the whole conversation about, you know, vaccination or not. Uh, I think you should get vaccinated. That's my advice. I got vaccinated. Everybody I know and I love has gotten vaccinated. I don't know why you wouldn't get vaccinated. I certainly did enough research um, that led me to believe that uh, overwhelmingly it was the right thing for me and and, and my, you know, and my kids. Um it, I'm also a big believer in your body, your choice when it comes to this thing. But that's that's a separate conversation for another day. I, I think personally, I don't know, you know, other than for some specific health reason or, you know, you've been reading a lot about, you know, you had COVID, you've got the antibodies and you're concerned about taking, uh, getting vaccinated because you've already had it and you've got, you know, the built up antibodies already, whatever. That, that conversation aside. It is a competitive disadvantage, or it could be a competitive disadvantage, to be on the lower end of NFL teams from a vaccination standpoint. Because unvaccinated players will continue to get daily tested. They have to wear masks. They have to practice physical distancing. They won't be allowed to eat meals with teammates. They can't participate in media or marketing activities while traveling. They're not permitted to use the sauna or steam room um, at team facilities. They can't leave the team hotel on road trips. They can't interact with people outside the team while traveling. Vaccinated players will have none of those restrictions. There's also um, some limitations on training camp practices, joint practices in particular. Um, But the the bottom line is a vaccinated player won't get tested. An unvaccinated player will continue to get tested. An unvaccinated player will be subject to contact tracing uh, 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 protocols in the NFL. Vaccinated players won't be. So if you are exposed to somebody with COVID-19 and you're unvaccinated, you could miss practices and games. And by the way, the NFL's made it very clear they are not canceling or rescheduling games this year. They do not plan to cancel or reschedule any games this year. So 
will it manifest itself into a, a, a major issue for the teams that are on the lower end of the vaccination scale? It could. It doesn't mean that it will. It could. Washington last year did a great job. We should, you know, we should understand that last year Washington was one of the leaders in the NFL in terms of teams without issues related to COVID. I think ultimately there were just a couple of players, and that was Matt Ioannidis, who was already on injured reserve for the season, and then Javon Leak, the Maryland kick returner running back that they signed to their practice squad, ended up with um, COVID. But nobody, nobody uh, on the team lost games or practices that were eligible for those during the season. The team did a very good job. Um, for the most part, compared to to other NFL teams. Still, you would rather have your team be on the higher end of that vaccination uh, number than on the lower end because there's more risk. Uh, Okay, when we come back, Chase Hughes, who writes for NBC Sports Washington, does a lot of TV work for NBC Sports Washington covering the Wizards. We're going to talk about this Bradley Beal situation, speaking of vaccinated or unvaccinated. That's next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. We welcome Chase Hughes from NBC Sports Washington on the podcast. Follow Chase on Twitter at Chase Hughes NBCS. Uh, he writes, he tweets, he does a lot of work for 
um, the uh, NBC Sports uh, local network and, and does a ton on the Wizards. And I just think this Bradley Beal thing, Chase, is a bit confusing um, to me. And I, I was hoping you'd be able to clear it up. First of all, I'd like to go chronologically before we even got to this week because there was a COVID outbreak on the team, you know, during the season. Um, and, and we remember some of the games that were lost and some of the delays, et cetera. I wanted to clear one thing up. Bradley Beal never got COVID, Correct. That is correct, at least not during that time. Uh, he did not get COVID, which was uh, pretty remarkable if you think about the timing of this, that the Wizards had, uh, by some accounts, the worst COVID outbreak of any team during the NBA season. They certainly had it the worst uh, before anyone else. Uh, they had six games postponed. Basically, half their rotation was affected by it, and Bradley Beal was one of the few guys that wasn't. Uh, him and Russell Westbrook were in the line, but I think that's what uh, made a, a lot of their losing right after that confusing to people because they were like, well, they had Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook. Why aren't they winning? Well, they were missing a lot of other guys. He missed one game during the regular season due to COVID protocols, and that was after he interacted with Jason Tatum right. uh, following a Wizards-Celtics game. But he was cleared right after that, so it was an inconclusive test. Um, so, yeah, he was able to go throughout the entire season unscathed, and then it affected him now Obviously, it's just an unbelievably ter- terrible time. Okay, so let's get to this week. Tell us sort of step-by-step step what happened here. So Bradley Beal played in the game on Tuesday night. He played well enough to be the representative at the podium because he led the team in scoring with 17 points. And then the next day, he entered protocol. And the following day after that, uh, he was ruled ineligible for the Olympics. Um, you know, I think that the timing, again, was terrible. They're supposed to leave for Tokyo on Monday. Uh, when the news first broke that he had uh, entered protocol, it was 11 days before their first game. But, of course, uh, the ceremonies before that, and, of course, as I mentioned, their departure to Tokyo was uh, much further before that. So the timing just didn't offer enough time for him to, to get it out of his system and get cleared. The good news is that he doesn't have symptoms. I mean, Chris Miller, my colleague, reported that, and then we talked to Bam out of bio yesterday, who's a friend of his, and he said that he talked to Bradley Beal. He's feeling good. He doesn't have symptoms, and that's a good thing because uh, Bam out of bio actually dealt with it earlier this season and was not as fortunate. He had symptoms and said it was really, really rough. Uh, so I guess that's the good news, but obviously very, very disappointing for Beal, who has dreamed of doing this for a long, long time. Okay, so what you just said is um, a confirmation, I guess, for me, uh, and I thought it was rather vague, that he actually does have COVID. That's why he's in protocol. It's not because of contact tracing. Right, right. Um, And all this stuff has been very vague when it's uh, announced and, and handled by the team. I think they see it as different than an injury. At least that's the way that the Wizards approached it all season, and I think that's the way other teams did. They didn't. They, they would tell you that a player tested positive or a player was out, but they would never name that player. So the public would know, but they could never say it specifically, um, I guess because of HIPAA law. So it, it's all been uh, kind of nebulous all season, so I wasn't surprised that USA Basketball was pretty vague to start. Uh, but then, of course, they did have a release, and they mentioned Bradley Beal, and, and Greg Popovich was able to say that it was Bradley Beal and that they'll miss him. Um, but he didn't go into any detail in terms of the circumstances, which um, we haven't heard much details in terms of the circumstances of how these guys have caught it uh, all year, you know, all throughout the season. So I, I'm, I don't know if we're going to get that information unless Bradley Beal decides to offer it up. 
All right. So the great news is he is without symptoms, um, having tested positive, it, it sounds like, with COVID. Um, the obvious question uh, that I have not seen an answer to is whether or not Bradley Beal had been vaccinated. Right. That is the big question that a lot of fans are asking me. And, and the, the short answer is we don't know for certain. Uh, the long answer would be uh, judging how this affected him compared to Jeremy Grant, for instance. You could certainly deduce that Bradley Beal, uh, my guess would be that he wasn't vaccinated. Um, throughout the season, you know, you can go back and look at pictures that the team put out of them at practice and notice that he's one of the few guys with a mask on and, you know, the rest of the team won't have a mask on. So you could consider that a clue. But he hasn't said anything publicly about it um, and uh, there's nothing definitive. Um, so unless he comes out with an interview soon, uh, if he does, I would imagine someone would ask him about it. I just talked to him last week, but uh, this was before all this stuff blew up. So certainly if I was talking to him now, I would ask him. But, uh, yeah, the long answer is uh, we don't know uh, for certain, but certainly you could guess uh, based on how things have gone. Well, I mean, the deduction could be sort of conclude with are they tested if they've been vaccinated or not? Because if they're not tested because they were vaccinated, well, then he was tested, had COVID-19, which means that he wasn't vaccinated. You know, it's, it's like the John Rahm situation, and I have no idea if they're comparable, the PGA Tour and what USA Basketball is doing. But had he been vaccinated, he wouldn't have even been tested. That's a good question. Um, that's a really good question. Yeah, I, I don't follow golf, but I do remember that the guy had to, uh, had to bounce out of the tournament, right? Yeah. Um, and he was playing pretty well. Um, yeah, that, that's a good question. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of clues here that would, would point in one direction and suggest that Bradley Beal hasn't been uh, vaccinated. But, you know, as we have also heard, there, there, I guess it's a slim chance that you can still catch it even if you have been vaccinated. That's uh, right. Generally, you don't have symptoms. Generally, you're much less likely to go to the hospital. You're much less likely to uh, be in grave danger because of it. Um, but th- there is technically that possibility. It, it's I, I'm so... You mentioned Jeremy Grant that he I, I I did read he was placed into the protocol, um you know thing but he but Popovich expressed optimism that he'd be able to remain with the team and and be on the Olympic team which tells me that he obviously didn't test positive, um and maybe this is just out of precaution but the whole thing is odd because I think especially with Popovich as the head coach. I think it's very interesting that part of the determination on who was going to be on this team and who wasn't, given that they were going to be traveling, being uh, given that they were going to be in very close quarters, I think they rolled the dice by putting, if Bradley Beal isn't vaccinated, by putting an unvaccinated player on the team. I think that's, uh, that could be a fair assessment for sure. I mean, Greg Popovich, also keep in mind, you wanted to compare NBA teams and how they dealt with COVID. Uh, the Spurs had a really tough bout, too. You know, right. it, it was them, the, the Wizards, uh, the True. Celtics, I think the, the Grizzlies, maybe those would be the four teams that got it the worst. Uh, but the Spurs were after the Wizards, and they had four or five games postponed. So certainly Greg Popovich has been through it. Bradley Beal's been through it. For Bradley Beal, if he isn't vaccinated, um, to go the entire season and, and not be affected by it while being in the locker room and being – in the practice facility of the Wizards when they had so much of it going on. And then to get to this point and have it affect him, um, that, that certainly is surprising. So, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, 
obviously this is an unusual Olympics that's going on at the same time as the NBA playoffs, so they had to weigh a lot of different factors. They had to, uh, you know, focus on players that are, are not still in the NBA playoffs. And Bradley Beal, kind of all the stars aligned for him to come, and, and he had a chance to be one of the best players on the team. Um, and something went wrong before he could even get there. Yeah, um, and they finally, you know, played a decent game the other night, and I watched some of that game, and, and he and Durant, you know, both had 17 to lead him. I was really – it's disappointing because I, I do like um, – I do like USA basketball. I like the international competitions. I like when they're in the Olympics. Um, and by the way, I think there's more intrigue when there's actually um, some doubt as to how dominant they're going to be going into it, which I think there is a little bit heading into this one based on the first two um, tune-ups and exhibition um, games. Um well, it's too bad. the The good news is obviously he's not sick. If if he if he's got COVID, he's not sick. He's symptomless, and that's that's the best news. And um and and uh, the whole thing though was interesting the way it, it sort of came about in the last you know twenty four to thirty hours or whatever whatever it's been right now. While I have you on, first of all, what do you think about this international team? I guess they're going to get Booker and they're going to get Middleton and they're going to get Holiday right when the NBA Finals are over. At least that's what the thought is right now. What do you make of this team heading into Tokyo in the, in the Olympics with you know, Australia and Spain and some of the other teams that are pretty good? I think they'll still win gold, but I think it, they're going to be pushed pretty hard. I mean, uh, losing Bradley Beal, he was one of the reasons why they won their first game the other night. You know, he got hot in the first quarter, had 10 points, uh, shot perfect four for four from the field. Um, they, they need all the help they can get, and we'll see if all those guys show up. You know, this finals uh, may end up going the distance, and uh, it's three players you're relying on all showing up. But if they can get uh, certainly a guy like Devin Booker, uh, or Drew, any combination of those guys. Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton would help them with per- perimeter defense, which is, they've had trouble with. Uh, Devin Booker would be the guy who could help replace Bradley Beal's scoring. So they could they could use some help for sure. Um, but the the teams around the, the, the globe have gotten so much better. Um, and this isn't as talented of a, a United States team as we've seen in the past. You know, maybe uh, 10 years from now, that will change. You'll look back and, and be amazed at how many players they had. I mean, you can go back and look at some of the rosters. Like 2012, I was watching a game of theirs the other night, and I was fortunate enough to see their exhibition at Capital One Arena when they played here. It was one of the best sporting events I've ever been to. Wow. But, you know, like the, the, the 10th or 11th guy on their bench was James Harden. You know? yeah. Like they had, they had Russell Westbrook, who was like nine years younger, uh, and he was like a bench player. And they would have starting lineups with like Chris Paul, Kobe, Kevin Durant, LeBron, uh, you know, Carmelo Anthony. It was just unbelievable the amount of talent they had. You can't compare this team to then. Uh, Kevin Durant is uh, all-time great, a legend. Damian Lillard, I think, is right on the cusp of being one, certainly a Hall of Famer. Um, but they're not, they can't roll an entire lineup out of all-time great uh, like previous teams could. This isn't the dream team. So I think talent-wise, uh, the, the gap is smaller. Uh, not just because teams around the, the world have gotten better, but because they don't have the Kawhi Leonard's and LeBron's and uh, you know Anthony Davis. If you had your best team, you would be a lot more stacked than they currently are. I think. Uh, so I, I think they'll medal, but I, I think it's going to there's going to be a lot of close games, and I think they 
they're they're really going to be pushed maybe as more than they have been since you know 2004 the last time they didn't win gold. Yeah, I think their first game is against France on the 25th. I was looking at this last night, and they're like a 15 point favorite. And France is is a good team now. Australia and Spain appear to be the more significant competitors over there. I you know you've done um when I've watched you on like the pre-game stuff or or the halftime stuff with. Uh, all of the different guys, you know, whether it's Brendan or, or the different guys that that you are in, uh, you know, you're in conversation with. I think you always do a really good job of holding your own on the basketball conversation. And I, and I was talking to, well, I mean, I've I, I've always felt that way, and even in our conversations, I I um one of the things that fascinates me, and I think I was saying this to Tommy yesterday, or maybe it was on the radio show, I forget, uh, but. In watching some of the games uh, early that they lost, and then remembering when they've struggled before, you know the big there. There are lots of differences between international basketball and the NBA, but one of the more significant differences is you can play a true zone in international basketball, whereas in the NBA you've got a defensive three-second you know rule, which means that you can play zone. And we've seen more teams in, in recent years in particular employ a lot more zone and different types of zone, which we never saw when zone initially became legal with the defensive three-second. But in international ball, you can play a true college zone and it's funny to watch the U.S. teams previously and even this one. They don't run typical zone offense against a real zone because they don't really have to at the NBA level. They can still run pick and roll. They can still run their man offense you know, against a, an NBA zone. But it's really hard to do that against a true zone, which is why sometimes I think you know, we've watched them struggle a little bit, even though they clearly have the best players. And by the way, you would think – Intuitively, they also have the greatest shooters, and this team is loaded with them so that they shouldn't struggle with it. But it's just funny to see that. I think it's um, it's an advantage for the international teams that really play good, traditional, you know, college, high school zone, not NBA zone. Yeah, I think that's part of it. And that's why, you know, Bradley Beal, after uh, Tuesday's game, when he was at the podium, um, had some just really interesting detailed insight on the adjustments that Team USA needs to make. And offensively, you know, he's talked about the balance that they have to toe between being aggressive and looking for their own shots and, and realizing that there's a lot of stars on the team. You have to defer to others sometimes, move the ball, make the extra pass. But what he said he thinks is most key is the drive and kick and, you know, basically break down the defense and pass out to an open shooter. And we saw more of that on Tuesday night. And on the other end of the floor, uh, perim- perimeter defense has been a problem for them so far. You know, they gave up 23 to Nigeria, which is absolutely incredible in a 40 minute game, too. Uh, and then they struggled with it against Australia, and then they were able to hold um, uh, Argentina 9 to 24 from three. But basically, they've been playing a lot of switch defense. And I think what they realized is that these, uh, these teams around the world have adapted to the three point. Uh, the emphasis of the three-point shot in, in basketball, and they can shoot from deeper range. So if you go under screens, uh, you're in trouble, and these guys can knock down shots. Even players you've never even heard of that aren't in the NBA oh, yeah. can, can hit shots from 24, 25 feet now. Um, so I, I think there's adjustments on both ends of the floor. There's more contact. A uh, few fouls are called. Uh, of course, uh, the three-point line's uh, different, the distance. You can grab the ball off the rim, uh, which would normally be uh, goaltending, goaltending or, or basket interference. 
Uh, so there's a lot of different things, and that's part of the process of these these exhibition games that they've been going through. And it seemed like Bradley Beal was getting it as much as anyone. Uh, and Greg Popovich said, even said that. So it's unfortunate that he's not going to be a part of this because he was really kind of rounding into his form already earlier than a lot of the other guys. For those that are listening that are seriously, Sheehan, we're, we're doing 10 minutes on international basketball. Yeah, we are. Um, <laughs> and the only thing I would say um, is that the you know drive kick and all of the space floor man concepts aren't going to work more often than not against a set zone. The ball's got to move, and you got to move the defense a little bit. But I look it, if Popovich should be able to figure it out. And the bottom line is, that if their defense turns it into a, you know an up tempo game, it's not going to matter. It's sort of like the Wizards team this year, Chase, and really the Wizards team for the last seven years. When they took it off the glass or they turned people over and they were able to, to, to turn it into an up-tempo game, they thrived. When the game slowed down, whether it was with Westbrook or Wall before them, they struggled. Um, and uh, this team should be able to you know, dominate the glass and, and, and turn people over, and their perimeter defense should be good um, or should be better. By the way, um, speaking of our Wizards, uh, are, are they going to have a coach anytime soon? <laughs> well, it looks like it'll be Wes Unseld Jr., which is, is, I guess, a little anticlimactic because that's the guy that everyone's been tying to this job, not only going into this search, but for years. Um, and I think one of the reasons, there, there's a few reasons why it's taken this long. One is that they went into the search uh, understanding they, they were going to go for an assistant, an up-and-comer, and not someone with head coaching experience. So I think they had to cast a wide net and make sure they talked to a lot of people and, and go through a more extensive vetting process, right, because this person... Uh, hasn't been a head coach before, and you're asking them to coach Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook and, and make it work right away. And then also I think um, West Unsell Jr. always had a really good chance at this job, but Darvin Ham and, and to a certain extent Charles Lee, the two assistants of the Bucks, just really impressed them in the interview process. And I think they warranted uh, stronger consideration than the, the Wizards front office expected uh, to give them going in. Uh, but it still remains, uh, and it looks like West Unsell Jr. Would, will be the pick. Uh, and if he is, uh, I think it's a great choice, no matter the, the name or his connections to the franchise. He's got a great resume, uh, associate head coach of the Denver Nuggets, a really well-coached team. You know, he knows defense. Uh, he's coached at other stops like the Warriors and the Magic. Um, he, he's a great head coaching candidate. So if they end up choosing him, it'll be a great story. But I also think it would be a, a good choice for what they need, a guy who um, I think could install even more defensive structure or, or maybe a lot more defensive structure and help them kind of build the program that they're looking for. All right, last one, and I'll let you run. Um, actually, two more. Uh, do you agree with me that if Kawhi Leonard doesn't get hurt, the Clippers right now are in the NBA Finals and probably ahead in the NBA Finals? Uh, I do. I do agree with that. Um, not only because the, the Clippers are able to push the Suns uh, pretty far without Kawhi Leonard. He didn't play in that series at all, but before he got hurt, I mean, he was arguably the best player in this postseason. He I mean, was he phenomenal. Was, he was absolutely dominating offensively. I mean, scoring with volume and efficiency. And we know what he brings to the defensive end. Um, so, yeah, I mean, considering how close they were without him uh, and how valuable he is, especially this time of the year, I, I think that's a completely fair thing to say. Um, but we, we have really good two really good teams in the finals, um, you know, the Suns and the Bucks. I think the Bucks are going to take it. I think Giannis is going to get his first ring, and – 
and really elevate himself historically, but we'll see. Um, obviously, momentum, as we've seen, could shift in this series pretty quickly. I loved Phoenix before this series. The thing that was alarming um, the other night was really how bad Chris Paul was and how physically worn out he looked, you know, courtesy of just a big, physical, long-armed, relentless defender in Drew Holiday. Um he really he looked his age the other night, and and you know, and losing obviously Booker to so many minutes in the fourth quarter hurt. By the way, just as an aside, how ridiculous was that non-call on Booker? I mean that that's one of the most egregious, obvious. We're not fouling out a great player in a, in a big game moments in the history of the league. He grabbed him. He intentionally fouled him. I know. I saw someone say Devin Booker uh, tonight had 41 points and nine fouls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it was ridiculous. But um, I'm, you know, I don't know. I've enjoyed these NBA playoffs. I know you have too. Um, but uh, you know, uh, Phoenix, Milwaukee, I know doesn't do it for everybody. Um, thanks. Great work uh, as always. At Chase Hughes NBCS on Twitter. Follow him. He'll have all the news if. You know, if and when this Wes Unsell Jr. stuff breaks, um, I don't even know what to think about Wes Unsell Jr. other than what people have told me, that he's been very good as a defensive assistant, that he's a great communicator, and he's been coaching for a good coach in Mike Malone in Denver. Thanks, Chase. Absolutely, Kevin. Anytime. Thanks to Chase Hughes for jumping on the podcast today. Up next, an old interview that I did with Mike Silver from January of 2020, right after Ron Rivera was hired. Uh, You'll hear some of that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We'll finish up the show today with an interview that I did with Mike Silver right after Ron Rivera got hired in January of 2020. Now, I'm going to reach out to Mike to try to get him on the radio show or podcast and have a conversation with him and talk about his new role um, producing content for the Washington football team. But when Tommy and I were talking yesterday about Mike Silver and the hiring of Mike Silver, I recalled having interviewed Mike and I remember remembered the story that he had written about Ron Rivera before Rivera got hired in Washington. And I uh, used some of Rivera's quotes yesterday in the show. I thought it was a pretty um, interesting interview and very revealing uh, about Ron Rivera. Anyway, I went back and listened to this interview that I did in January of 2020 with Mike Silver. And I just thought it was sort of interesting to listen to a year and a half later. Um, 
you know, it there's just a lot in there that speaks to why Washington, why the fit was good, um, things that Mike had talked to Ron about prior to Ron taking the job, Mike having this long um, relationship with Ron, knowing him and his wife Stephanie pretty well and predicting a few things about Ron Rivera in Washington. He has some things to say about Dan Snyder. So I just thought you might want to listen to this conversation from, again, a year and a half ago. And again, I'll try to get Mike on here in the next week or so uh, to find out what he's doing with the team now. So here it was back in January of 2020, my conversation with Mike Silver, who at the time was with NFL.com and the NFL Network. I'm glad to finally catch up with you because I really thought it was perfect timing. You know, when you came out with that story about Ron Rivera shortly, you know, just a couple of days before the Redskins ended up hiring him. And there were things in that story that I found so interesting. Um, And that is, first of all, he was always, you know, anxious to get back and was not very comfortable being unemployed. Um, But what, you know, after sitting with him a week and a half ago or whenever it was, what do you think after sitting with him the Redskins are getting in Ron Rivera? Well, they're getting a guy who is a straight straight shooter and is very, very, uh, you know, driven every day to try to create things in the the image that he conceives. So he has a he has a philosophy, he has a culture, he has a way of living, and it will permeate everything he does. And, you know, part of that's growing up in a military family, part of that's just being a guy who has been a grinder his entire life. But, uh, you know, if the Redskins wanted a pro, if they wanted somebody who knows what he is and what he wants and how he wants to shape it, this was clearly, clearly the top choice on the market and, and one of the best guys out there. So around here, you know, it has been 21 years of Dan Snyder's ownership and the dysfunction that's gone with it, the losing that's gone with it. And every single time, you know, we've been in this situation as a fan base, you know, it's been sort of promised and and, and painted in the same way. It's like Mike Shanahan, Joe Gibbs, Marty Schottenheimer, you know, not so much with Zorn and Gruden. It was different, but it was about the coach coming in and Dan finally stepping back. And it's never worked out. All of those guys have left in a way in which they weren't necessarily perceived coming in. What will be different in your mind about this time? Well, I think if you're looking from an outsider perspective, the fact that he fired Bruce Allen is, you know, it's more than a gesture. It's clearly a statement of statement about what the organization is and, and how it's going to look. So, um, you know, he did that. Uh, and, you know, listen, I'm not one of those people who thinks owners have to be completely invisible and passive and non-factors. Uh, I, I do believe Dan Snyder means well and desperately wants to win. And that counts for something with me. There are plenty of owners in the NFL where uh, they're guaranteed a profit and they essentially are like, cool, it'd be great to win, but I'm good either way. I I mean, I I think it would shock fans in the highly competitive industry uh, how content many owners are with just, you know, making money and, and trying to be good sometimes. So if you have an owner who aggressively is, trying to win, that is a, a bonus. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that Dan, you know, knows exactly how to 
do it the best way, but he's thinking about it a lot, and he wants it. Um, you know, I give him credit in this instance. Uh, people say, well, why would Ron Rivera jump at the, the first job? That's really not what happened. He was out there for weeks. Uh, there were opportunities for everyone to at least back-channel uh, and convey interest, and he studied all the situations. And then uh, Dan, you know, who had an advantage, as did David Tepper, because the coach had been fired early, Dan uh, parlayed that advantage into an aggressive uh, strategy and met with him, and, and they connected and, and took him off the market. So, uh, you know, listen, I've criticized Dan Snyder for many, many things, but I think, you know, Redskins fans have to give him credit in this instance. Do you think if Rivera hadn't um, been aggressively pursued by by Dan and, and potentially with the help of Joe Gibbs, which I'll ask you about here in a moment, um, do you think Rivera would have gotten an, another job? I mean, you, you had four openings. Oh, yeah, no, I, I absolutely believe he would have gotten another job. I think, for example, you would have seen him up there with Jerry and Stephen Jones had he been on the, you know, had he still been there. Um, I, I believe that all of the, uh, other than Carolina, there aren't that many openings this year, but you know the other four, I believe, would have looked very, very strongly at him if not offered it to him right away. How influential do you think Joe Gibbs was in Ron Rivera deciding on Washington? That's a great question. I mean, I know Ron and his regard for uh, the people who've made the NFL great and and been you know integral people in shaping this game. So. I am sure that, uh, you know, as it would with anyone, that Joe Gibbs uh, wooing you and connecting with you would, would carry a lot of weight. So, um, you know, I have not debriefed with Ron about that, but I don't see how that's a, a negative. And, and, you know, the fact that Joe did work for Dan and had that experience, I, I'm sure allowed him to, to share some things that very few others could. And, uh, you know, to Dan's credit, if you're, if you're coming guns a-blazing, you know, call in the big dogs, and clearly he did. You know, one of the things I've, I've, we're talking to Michael Silver, um, who wrote a really good profile on Ron Rivera, and most of you follow Michael on Twitter. I'm sure he's done a lot of NFL stuff, broken a lot of news uh, over the years, written a lot of really good stories. You know, one of the things from your story, from your uh, on Rivera that that I've read from multiple times is the story um, that he told uh, about when he first got to Carolina. You know, when when the one player said, you know, we've been doing it a certain way, and he said, so two and fourteen was effing good enough, right? And and essentially said, I'll take the bullets for us when we lose. You'll get all the credit when you win, as long as you follow me. Do you think he viewed Washington as sort of the same? as Carolina was in 2011 when he walked into it? That's a great question. You know, I, I don't know. I, I do know that the only conversation we had about that team, you know, and this was Friday night, you know, before the, uh, you know, the hiring. And, uh, you know, the only conversation we really had about the team was that he really liked the roster. And that might not be uh, a common perception in the Twitter world or, you know, for fans around the, the league, but this was a guy who obviously broke it down and broke down the rosters of all the teams that looked like they might have openings, and, and he really liked it. So, uh, you know, that tells me a lot. And, you know, listen, he's a, he's a guy who, uh, I guess I included that story in the, about him going off in the meeting and, and you know, railing against the, the players who wouldn't get on board, partly because, 
you know, people in my business, understandably, uh, really, really revere this guy. He treats us really well. He treats us with respect, and he's one of the good ones. So you hear a lot about what a great guy he is, and that's true. But I, I just wanted to juxtapose that with, sure. hey, he can uh, he can come in and put a foot up people's uh, nether regions. So when you were sitting there and he told you that he really liked the Redskins roster, obviously that was not in your profile. I, I'm assuming that you had a pretty good sense that he was going to be the Redskins' new head coach at that time. You know, it's one of those things where um, there are dots you could connect because uh, they were, you know, the only two teams could be super aggressive uh, above board at that point, right? It was Friday night. Technically, only the Panthers, who obviously aren't trying to rehire them, and the Redskins can can do some things that, uh, you know, are on the level and aggressive. So that made the most sense to me. Uh, I didn't have any you know, knowledge that I could, that was reportable, but uh, it, it definitely felt like that's what was happening, and, and certainly that's how it played out. I'm, I'm just curious, and it doesn't matter now, he's got the job, but when you're sitting there, was that something you asked him about, or did he offer up his feelings about the Washington roster unsolicited? Honestly, we've known each other a long time, and we, uh, <laughs> because... You know, I, I, I flew in, got there kind of late, and I was going to come to his house, but then his neighbors were having a party, so he just kind of met me out front and brought me into this party. So immediately we were in a, a very, like, schmoozy social context for hours, and then eventually we went back to, to his house, and he and Stephanie and I sat in the, the kitchen around midnight and, and did a formal interview. But the uh, the first few hours was just us kind of hanging out, so... You know, there were a lot of moments during that lead-up where we talked about things, and so teams came up, and I, I just I recalled that at that point, you know, or I recalled after the fact, or maybe, you know, as I was writing, but not including it, that that's what his thoughts were on on that roster. But uh, you know, and maybe because that wasn't part of the formal interview, I, I sure. felt like I, I wouldn't meander around the teams. But yeah, my instincts were that's what was going on, just given the that they were poised to, to strike openly and others were not. At Mike Silver on Twitter, he writes, of course, for NFL.com, does work for NFL Network. You've seen him on the NFL Network before. Um, you know, I'm wondering if ultimately, you know, the number one reason he chose Washington, you know, you talked about the roster, and I think it is thought to be, you know, by this fan base anyway, it is thought to be not a 3-13 and roster. I mean, there's some talent defensively. There's some young talent on offense, and certainly they've got a quarterback, you know, who everybody's got a different opinion on, but he was a first-round pick in, in 2019. Do you think ultimately it was the roster in the the ability potentially to turn it around quickly that attracted him the most? You know, I, I feel like, honestly, it must have been big picture things because, you know, he, he knew he was wanted. This was not a mystery. It wasn't just one owner kind of, you know, wooing him hard. Uh, you know, he was getting signals that everybody wanted him and he was going to potentially have his pick. So, uh, you know, I, I think the things that most people in that situation would would really focus on uh, you know our big big picture things and and he's you know he's a guy who has time I think to you know he obviously wants to win right away but I don't feel like he feels like he's under immense pressure to win the Super Bowl next year you know in, in his own mind so uh, you know I, I think he 
probably like the things that a lot of us have questioned over the years. But but again, if you're you know those of us on the outside, we have seen you know many dysfunctional things that we've railed against them. But he also made a pretty big move, and it wasn't like hey, Bruce Allen's been reassigned and he's going to just work on the stadium, but he's still going to kind of be there overseeing, or he's going to be in a different role. Like you know, fired is fired, and uh, you know I, I'm not. I don't think Ron, knowing Ron, I don't think Ron said, hey, I only want this job if you fire that guy. But I think Dan was trying to uh, reassess things in a pretty comprehensive way. So that, that's interesting because maybe, maybe what you just said is you don't think that that Ron would say that, but do you think he would have accepted the job had Bruce had some role here moving forward? It's a great question. I, I don't know. I wish. You know, I wish when we had that long conversation, we were specifically <laughs> talking about right. about that one franchise because I I would have obviously pressed him on those things. But you know, listen, I, I I don't. I guess I would just say this: just remember this when he took the job. It was a competitive situation. He had options, and he you know not only chose that one, but clearly like embraced it. Right? He's he's super super excited about it. That's real. That's not. That's not an act. So, you know, we've all seen coaches who look like they have options and then it turns out there's only one option and they go up there and sell it like this is the one I wanted. But, you know, maybe, wow, if I could have had that job, that would. But, you know, of the ones that at least were open or could have been open, I'm pretty sure he, he's pretty gung-ho excited about this one. I think it's safe to say that anybody with options wouldn't come in here with Bruce Allen here. I it, it, I think that that's a pretty safe assumption. They could barely attract any assistant coaches here last year, and, and part of that was that Jay Gruden appeared to be lame duck, and and I understand all that. Um, you know, there was another part of your story that I've referenced multiple times over the last week uh, plus, and it was Rivera talking about what he was going to look for next. And one of the lines, uh, one of the quotes in there is, "I don't want personnel control. I just want to be able to pick which forty six are active for game." Day and have a collaborative relationship with the GM, and if there's a conflict, at least be able to go to the owner and state my case, closed quote. Michael, everybody in this town has, uh, we want one thing, those of us that are lifelong fans, and I'm one of them, and that is for, you know, not just a new day, which we believe at least for now, at least Bruce is gone and there's a new coach, but for that coach or that GM, if they hire a GM, to have autonomy, to have true control without any meddling. Um, Do you think that that was something he required specific to this job? Well, listen, I, you know, owners, owners sign the check. So owners always have final say. I don't, you know, it's one thing when it's Al Davis who had a career in football and was a respected football guy. And it's different when it's Jerry Jones who, who didn't, but it's still, that's just how it works uh, in our capitalist society. So, I mean, you're never going to get rid of that. And I honestly, like, you know, what, what are you going to do? Like, you gotta, you gotta communicate with the owner and, and tell the owner what the, the vision is and what you're thinking. Um, you know, I think with Dan, it's not, I don't know if meddling is the word, like some of it, I, I think it's been well-intentioned, but, but counterproductive. Like when Clinton Portis is riding on your helicopter, it, it, is that sending a message that, you know, to him and to other players that if the coach, you know, insists on something that, he has to follow it or is it like, well, he's buddies with the owner. So it's okay. So, 
you know, sometimes I think it's just, you know, owner involvement is not even, you know, as, as sinister as people make it out to be or as needy, I guess. It's more just people thinking that it's a good way to, to go about it and not understanding the, the unintended consequences. So I, I think probably Ron, the good thing about Ron is he, isn't you know he's not subtle i'm sure ron expressed exactly what he was looking for and i'm sure he heard the things that gave him comfort level now if the owner decides well i said this but i'm going to do that then you know what are you going to do but uh you know certainly with uh hiring ron first and then shaping the personnel department it, it gives you a a great chance at a collaborative uh good uh you know personnel coach uh, partnership, which is the best way to do it in the NFL. You know, for example, how many times have you ever heard out of Seattle, you know, well, Pete Carroll made that call, but John Schneider made that one, or right. they, they clashed on this, which one has control? You never hear about it, and you're talking about, you know, one of the best coaches of his era, and possibly the best GM in the game in John Schneider, and they, you know, whatever, you know, tension has ever existed between them, we don't hear about so that's the that's the blueprint that's what you want and usually when uh you know pete and john didn't know each other going in they hired pete and then he and john ended up connecting during interviews but usually when you don't have uh you know tension going in at least gives you a chance to uh have that kind of collaboration it's funny that you bring up the pete carroll john schneider thing because around here for so long you know, uh, many people, and, and I would put myself into this uh, category and, and group, think that the worst decision Snyder's made in his 21 years was firing Marty Schottenheimer after one year when John Schneider was here as well. well and, 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 and I, I, have, I, have a, I have a story. Uh, please. I, I remember, remember going to Charger training camp uh, at UC San Diego in La Jolla uh, that next summer uh, early on and seeing Marty and he came up to me and I said, "Hey, man! I said I got to tell you, you know, when you were zero and five and you, you fought your way back out of that, that was really impressive." And he said, "Oh, Michael, the only thing I was worried about was that somehow Dan wasn't going to fire me." <laughs> one of the one of the classic Bardyisms of all time. So Bardy definitely uh, did not want to stay. Yeah, I it, it, and it's too bad because after the zero and five start with Tony Banks and Kent Graham at quarterback, they went eight and three the rest of the way, and the team really that was one of the few times during the Snyder era where the arrow was clearly pointed upwards. You know, the the story around here, of course, is that Dan essentially said with the other owners, "We're not having enough fun," and Marty knew they were weren't having enough fun because he was throwing all of them out of the building um, and doing it his way. <laughs> Um, but I, it, what was funny um, uh, just moments ago, and I get where you're coming from, and I understand that. I think most reasonable people would say that this owner isn't intentionally trying to sabotage his own organization. You know, there's nothing right. sinister about it. But, 
You know, the nice way of putting it is sort of that naivete has led to 21 years of unintended consequences. You know, that's like the nicest way to put it, because there have certainly been some moments, you know, that's one of them, um, you know, keeping Vinny Serrato along, you know, along for the ride for so long and and Bruce uh, as well. That's that's led, you know, really to one of the most amazing erosions of a customer base that we've ever seen in business. I mean, you know, you're an NFL guy, you know how loyal and rabid this this consumer base this fan base was and in the last couple of years it has eroded exponentially and i think that yeah and i think that's why people are hopeful that this time you know whether it was ron rivera or ronald mcdonald whoever came in here just needed to have the control um to do it their way so i would ask you um lastly do you think that washington has finally gotten it right uh, I, I mean, I think so. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I really believe in Ron, and I think they'll end up with, uh, you know, something good going on on the personnel side. And, uh, you know, he's he's not a guy who, you know, needed a year away because he was burnt out. I mean, he's he's ready to roll. Um, you know, it's, uh, I, it's a good time to get after it in the division, right? The, the Cowboys are uh, in transition similarly. The Giants just hired a guy that, you know, most fans have never heard of who, uh, you know, presided over a position group this last season, for what it's worth, that looked like one of the most, you know, flailing units in the NFL and the Patriots receivers. And, uh, you know, the Eagles look older and beat up right now. So it's, uh, you know, I think it's there for the taking, but uh, you you know how these things go. you got to be able to to survive the emotional arcs and, you know, all the, the peaks and valleys. But I do think Ron is one of those guys who's really, really good at that. I think he'll, he'll be very much, you know, the same every day. He'll be very consistent. He'll be strong and unwavering. So I, I think that, that gives you a fighting chance. Thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. I'm glad we finally caught up. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much. That again from January in 2020. Uh, I just thought it was interesting to go back. Yes, I'm going to try to get Mike Silver updated and on the show um, now that he is in town working for the football team. We will try to get that done in the next week or so. That's it for the day. Uh, Have a great weekend. Back on Monday.